watch out. Yeah, talking about way out there. Beheim! Wow, is that silence in a little bit? Schrader takes. It's a two-man rush. Schrader steps Stop up. It. Pop pass up in the middle. Got Tucker's it. got it. Ruby run. 15, 10. Hit, oh. hit in. Gregory's touchdown. The Bills make me wanna shout. Allen looks to his left. Fires left side. It go to the end zone. Stephon Diggs makes the catch. Touchdown, Buffalo. Swing into this. It is over. The Boston Red Sox. Baseball's best all season long. They have won it all. This is On The Block. Yeah, I was driving home yesterday, so I heard some of your show. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Brent. Thank you. Thanks, Brent. Two, one. Here's X-Men. ESPN Radio 97.7, 100.1, FM, heard wherever you are, whatever you are doing, ESPN app, seen, heard, and everything in between on the wonderful, stupendous, magical, amazing. QSportsTalk.com, a place where you can watch a radio show. I mean, folks, I just, uh, here we are, it's 2023, the technology in the world uh, being what it is, you can put a man on the moon, you can watch a radio show. I've said that for years, and it's finally true. So now it's time to go to the moon. QSportsTalk.com is where you do it, friends. QSportsTalk.com, a magical place where you watch a radio show as it happens, you chat, on QSportsTalk.com, giving us your takes, hot or otherwise. That's hot. Throughout the show, so you don't, they don't expire. When you call at 437-7644, we appreciate hearing from you. It adds to the audio experience that a radio program is theater of the mind, as they say. But it comes and it goes. It evaporates into the ether. And unless you're uh, Hall of Fame callers like Stephen North Syracuse, like Scooter, and otherwise, nothing against our other great callers trying to work their way to that status. But you know, th- these are the goats we're talking about. These are the heavyweights. Unless you're one of those guys or gals, then your take just kind of floats off into the ether. Whereas on QSportsTalk.com, you put the take in there and people, they see it, they react to it. It creates more takes. It's a beautiful thing. So however you wish to give us your takes, we're here to take them. Four three seven seventy six forty four. You can hit me on Twitter, Brent X Media, or as mentioned at QSportsTalk.com, a great place to hang with us during the show. We've got two great guests joining us today, both in the 5 o'clock hour of the show. So uh, this hour open for your response takes and further discussion on Syracuse basketball, Syracuse football, and some other things we will get into. But our guest today, Matt Perino, Syracuse.com. The Shout Buffalo Bills podcast as we get ready for this Bills-Bengals matchup, the divisional round in the National Football League playoffs. Uh, Continued amazing updates on DeMar Hamlin. And we're just at the point where he's just chilling in the building, just coming by every day. Uh, Very interesting source of inspiration that was brought into the Bills locker room today. Are they tempting fate with this, or will we look back on this as the moment where we said that's when the Buffalo Bills... The Super Bowl. We 
We'll talk to Matt about all that today. I'm nervous about this matchup. I feel a little better about it today than I did Monday. Not going to lie. I still have some big concerns, mostly on the Bills side of things. But Matt will either uh, confirm those for me or walk me off the ledge. We shall see. We will talk to Matt about that immediately after that. We are going to check in with our friend Alex Ackerman. We're going to talk some Syracuse Crunch hockey. Field pass hockey is where you can find Alex and her great takes on the Crunch Syracuse Speaks podcast. Just follow her on Twitter. Uh, She is one of the more passionate uh, Syracuse Crunch fans uh, you can find and one of the more intelligent voices on the Crunch you can find, quite frankly. And uh, we're going to talk to her about Alex Barry Boulay setting a new career mark. There's been a lot of those happening in recent weeks with the Crunch. Three all-stars on this team. If the season ended today, is this a playoff team? Are we seeing the annual crunch kind of start slow, then Ben Gear, uh, Ben Grew, pardon me, gets the gears going type of team? Or what are we looking at here? What's going on in net? I got a lot of questions. I got a lot of questions for you people about the crunch who play tonight, by the way, and you'll hear that right here on ESPN Syracuse, your home for crunch hockey. They are at Wilkes-Barre Scranton tonight. So get ready for some crunch talk later in the show. We'll go on the blind side as usual. What do seven of the eight playoff teams in the NFL have in common? We're going to go inside the numbers a little bit during hot takes. A shout out to our friend Madden Cuse, who will want to, I know this is not a show that is an audience of one, but this message is for an audience of one. Or any Dallas Cowboy fans that feel the way our friend Madden Cuse does. You're going to want to listen during hot takes, buddy. Little hint of what's to come. I'm rebutting a lot of people today. I'm in that mood. I'm in rebuttal mood. Sir, your rebuttal. We mentioned some Syracuse football news out there. Another coach looks to be leaving the staff. It's in a revolving door there at a certain position. So what's the pattern here as we approach yet another signing day? This staff departure, should Pete Thamel's report turn out to be true, and they typically do. Hits in two different ways. So we will discuss that a little bit later on in the show. But here's where we start today. He's not there yet. I spent a good part of the show yesterday, a good part of the monologue yesterday, giving you what I felt was a pretty rational take that uh, Judah Mintz, all things considered, probably shouldn't have been in the game down the stretch against Miami. This was a take that was based on facts. This was a take that was based on what I saw with my own two eyes. This was a take that was based on turnovers by Judah Mintz leading directly to Miami points. See, not all turnovers are created equal. You can get away with certain turnovers. And then there are those that lead directly the other way and score points for the other team, get them back in the game. Look, you can't candy coat this. These are big boys. They can take the criticism. Was Judah Mintz the only reason they lost that game? No. Was Judah Mintz a primary reason why they lost that game? The answer is yes. Plain and simple. So I didn't think it was that far off the reservation here, far off the road here to say, you know what, in this instance, in this game, in this situation, based on what I'm seeing in this game, facts, turnovers, leading to points the other way, how he's playing not just in a circumstance. There's been a lot of focus on the last shot. you got you got to zoom out a little bit. This was a pattern, a concerning pattern. This was an anomaly. Now, when you see an anomaly like this, you can either say, I'm going to back you up and I'm going to have faith that what I've seen before is going to come through, 
or you can recognize in this particular instance, game by game, what do coaches say all the time? One game at a time, one game at a time, right? Yet sometimes when the defense of certain things comes in, it's cited from, you know, what Judah Mintz did against Notre Dame or what Judah Mintz did, you know, five, six games ago. In the moment, I didn't think he deserved to be out there because he was hurting his team more than he was helping it. Judah Mintz, by and large, helps the team more than he hurts it. But I don't think he's reached that status that, say, our friends Paul Sibilia and Stephen Fonte do, as they were talking earlier today on their program about this very subject. Let's listen back. They sped him up, and that's what happens. You get sped up. Young players will get sped up in those situations. You look at, they've played three ranked opponents this year, Paulie, uh, Illinois, Virginia, and now Miami. And that was a common thread in those three games is that, you know, Judah got sped up a little bit. I think he's got, I want to say, 13 turnovers in those three games. But he will learn from it. You, to me, though, that still doesn't justify taking him off the court with the game on the line. He is one of your, let's let's just say, three best players because nobody can argue with that. Whether or not you want to say he's the best player, it, you know, he is one of your three best offensive threats. You want him on the court when you're down two in the game on the line. And you legitimately only have three. Is Judiments most of the time one of your three best offensive threats? Of course he is. Is Judiments one of the three best players on the Syracuse basketball team? Is that even a question? Was Judiments one of your three best players on the floor at that time of the game? Unequivocally, no. Was there another option that could have been brought in to correct the mistakes, to calm things down, and prevent direct turnovers? See, what I heard there and what I've heard elsewhere is all speculation. References to the past, references to things that had happened at that point. I'm basing my opinion on what I saw in that game in that moment. A series of turnovers, a series of mistakes. I do not put Judah Mintz in the category of Joe Girard or Jesse Edwards yet. He will get there, and he will get there, in my opinion, this year, he's right there, but he is by far not untouchable. And I think that's not the right message to be sending. I have a very high threshold for this. Guys, I, 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 let me repeat myself here. Does Judah Mintz have NIL gear? Because I will buy it right now. I have been the president of the Judah Mintz fan club. I have defended Judah Mintz in some instances where... It was tough to do. It said, in the long run, this is going to work out more than it's not. But this whole thing of how incredulous, listen to Steve in that moment. How, how, how could you suggest taking him out? Um, because he kept turning the ball over? Because he kept doing something that a point guard can't do? That you actually had three better options? And there's a lot, been a lot of focus on the last play. The last play proves my point. The last play was supposed to go to Joe Girard. Now, it didn't work out. That Miami's got to be given some credit there, right? But there were some decisions made there, not only in that instance, but in several other plays that led up to that in a crucial stretch of the game that led to Miami getting the lead back and eventually Miami winning. Most of which, not all of which, but most of which you could say is on Judah. 
He'll learn from this. Why can't he learn from this on the bench? He can in that instance. This is not a call to change the position permanently. This is not a you know a quarterback discussion where we got to put the backup in because the starter can't do it anymore. This is taking a player out of a game who's hurting the team. It's that simple. I I don't understand why I feel like I'm in crazy town here. He has not reached that status yet. He will. But what are we basing this on? How has he entered the, the pantheon of untouchables that no matter the circumstance, he can't be on the floor? I get college basketball, and you can say this about a lot of sports, of course, but in this instance, we're talking about college basketball. We're talking about an era of one and dones, the transfer portal, and you can't just nurture and build players the way you used to because they're going to leave eventually if they have any shred of talent. I mean, you on that broadcast, Dave O'Brien calling the game for the ACC Network, by the way, who is a Syracuse alum who is like the de facto voice of the Orange. He calls a lot of games during the season for ACC Network, ESPN, and other outlets. So for him to just kind of drop it in there on the broadcast and say, hey, do you think this guy's one and done? That's not just, hey, let's fill the, the air with discussions, kind of like we do on this show. No, that came from somewhere. And he is that kind of talent. He is that kind of player. And I get we're at an accelerated pace here. And I appreciate that Jim Beheim has handed him the keys from day one and trusted him. But he is not untouchable. He's not there yet. I think he will get there. He actually had an opportunity in that Miami game, which I didn't think he should have had. But let's live in a world of speculation. I'm basing everything I'm talking about, what I saw with my own two eyes in that game in that scenario. Not something I saw you know, six weeks ago or not something that you say generally talking about straight facts, homie. But let's live in a world of speculation for a minute here. Let's say he makes that play. And as a result of that play, Syracuse wins the game. That moment right there may have earned him his stripes. I would still go into it saying, all right, man, Dad, you totally made up for that. We're talking about, you know, dumb and dumber situation. And then you totally redeem yourself, right? That can happen. But it didn't. And it was a buildup, and it was a pattern. It was not a moment in time. It was not a screwed-up inbounds pass. It was not a happening. It was a consistent failure on the part of a player. It can happen. He's a big boy. He can go sit on the bench for three minutes and learn that way when I got plan B sitting right there. Simir Torrance sitting right there for this exact scenario. I don't know why from five minutes in or whatever point you want to say, it's like, how dare you even suggest that? I, I don't I don't understand that. I really don't. So, look, we've talked about this a lot the past couple of days, and we're going to start to turn the page to Georgia Tech, and Judah Mintz is going to have more great moments than gaff moments. Judah Mintz will get there by the end of this year because that is part of what we're talking about here, the accelerated pace of college basketball. There's a reason Jim Beheim gave him the keys and trust him, and for the most, like, when he was asked about it in the post-game press conference afterwards, when certain, pl- not everybody is created equal and treated e- everybody's created equal, nobody's treated equally on a basketball team, nor should they be, okay? The star point guard, the point guard's different. 
The position is different. It's like quarterback in football. It's like the hockey goaltender. It's just you got to treat the point guard differently. You got to nurture the point guard differently, especially when he's a freshman who doesn't know what he doesn't know. But what we knew, what we saw, what was right there, what you could see, you could taste, you could feel, he was struggling big time. He was out of his normal rhythm. He, it was an anomaly. So you, as a coach, have to look at that and say, this, he's, he doesn't have it. Someone has to carry you home. You don't have any other options. We're in a different situation. We're having a different conversation. But I don't want to base this on speculation. I'm basing it on what I saw in that game, in that situation. How we can sit here and say that he's untouchable, that he is on the, the realm of Joe and Jesse. Talent-wise, of course he is. Yeah, I mean, that's not even a debate. But in that game, no. In that game, no. He's not there yet. But he can certainly get there. And he can get there pretty quickly, by the way. He may have gotten there in the Miami game. But I don't think he's at that status yet. I need to see a little bit more. Call me old school. Say, I don't, you don't get it. You don't understand it. But to just sit here and suggest that taking a player out of a game who was a turnover machine is the bad take, is the, how, how dare you suggest a thing? Like, are we watching the same game? Are we watching the same player struggle over and over again? Are there not other players capable of making plays at the end of that game? See, and I think that's a little bit of a danger here, too. Why are we painting Judah Mintz to be the be-all, end-all of having to win that game? By the way, I am in no way suggesting that if Symeer's in the game, they win. I'm just saying, I know they lost because Judah was in the game. And that's harsh, okay? I don't take any pleasure in saying that, but go watch the last six minutes of that game and watch the pattern of turnovers and watch the pattern of bad mistakes that directly lead to Miami points. And tell me you come away with any conclusion other than, you know what, he probably should have sat. 3.43 to go, you could see it going into that timeout. And maybe he sits there, gets his composure, and comes back. I'm not eliminating a scenario. Again, all the focus on the last shot, he's got to be there. Maybe there is a scenario where he would have sat and came back in for that. But I I don't, I don't know. I I just see it a different way. I really do. And I, I think the suggestion that anything but him being on the court is the way, to quote a, uh, great Star Wars show. This is the way. I, I, I just don't see it that way. He's not there yet. He's not that type of player. He's darn close to it, but he hasn't earned it yet, in my view. He will earn it because of what we've seen to this point. There you have it. What do you guys think? 437-7644, Brent Dax Media on Twitter, and the chat flowing at Q Sports Talk. Dot com. Now, we will continue the hoops discussion here, but uh, interesting football news out there as well. Yet another coaching departure on the way. Who is it? And there's a particular position on this team, both coaches and players, where there's been a lot of turbulence in the portal, in the offseason. Some of that turbulence has actually shown some movement in a good way for Syracuse, but... What does it all mean? Is it just 
the way college football is today, or is there, you know, continuing concerns here about the revolving door we have seen with Syracuse football in this offseason? Put into context with everything that college sports is today, transfer portal and everything that we discuss on a daily basis now. We'll get into that coming up. ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. No, we had a set. They kind of took Joe away a little bit. We we're trying to get Joe a shot up at the top, but I think Judah was premature a little bit, trying to you know, trying to make a play, which he's done. He's made those plays all year for us, and uh, he didn't tonight. Tim Beheim, of course, after the loss to Miami, as uh, Syracuse now uh, puts all sights set on Georgia Tech coming up here. Take care of business matchup on Saturday. Matt Perino later, Alex Ackerman later. Talk some Bills football, crunch hockey, respectively. We're going to get into some football here. We have a couple other things going on as the week goes along. Joe Girard's going to join us tomorrow, usually on Tuesdays, but, uh, you know, schedule-wise, it was better to do a Thursday this week. We'll take him anytime he wants to come on, and that's uh, presented by RomanoCars.com. So we'll talk to Joe tomorrow. We'll talk to uh, the color analyst and former Buffalo Bill, Eric Wood, later this week. A couple other things uh, coming your way as uh, the week uh, progresses here. So come on by. Hang. We'll be here. Talking sports. That's what we do, including uh, Tom in Liverpool at 437-7644 on the block with us here. Hey, Tom. How are you, X? I'm doing great, Tom. What's cooking? Oh, I don't know. I just, um, you can't say anything about Bayheim or You just can't. I, I love Polly and I love Stephen Fanny, but they constantly defend him. It, it's... You're the only you're the only one that ever says anything or questions in <laughs> the mean, whole in the whole area. I mean, look, I I, I I agree with Jim on a lot of things. I just don't happen to agree with him on this one. Like, right. I just I don't think Judah's at the point where he's untouchable. I see a player struggling who had to come out of the game. I don't think that's that crazy a take. I uh, really well, don't. You can't. And this time you can't do that because I, I can think, and I like the kid, but he also. Down the stretch against Pittsburgh, he threw the ball away and took a shot at the end. Lost that game, and we almost lost the Louisville game when he remember when he tripped and lost the ball. Luckily, Jesse punched the ball out right. from behind. There's been some mistakes. They and here's they the thing, Tom, with Judah, like more than often, and I have said this a lot, he'll make up for those mistakes. Or you know, in that case, somebody had to bail him out because it was towards the end of the right. game, but. He does more things right than wrong. He has gotten better in the past couple of months. It's like you're riding out a player who's like, man, you're just really stubborn no, with this. No, and should be out there. Yeah, that's the thing. But in this instance, like, it just fell apart. And by the way, yeah. credit to him, Tom. That's the first time I watched a game this year and said, oh, boy, he looks like a freshman. That's the first time I said right, that. Right. So, I, right. yeah, I just I don't get it either. So, yeah, Steve and Jim tomorrow can – Talk about that idiot that's on the radio from four to six, and how he doesn't know what he's talking about, and then that's fine. That's that's the way it goes. He just—I I don't know. Did you, did you realize? Oh, you probably do. But the last two years against Quadrant One were zero and thirteen. I'd have to double check that, Tom. I'm not doubting you there, but the, the record's I, I, not my good. My cousin told me, and I, I double checked. I was like, "Oh my!" 
He's right. And here we sit at this point, Tom, and thanks for the call and the thoughts, my friend. Good stuff. They don't have a quadrant one win right now. That's what that game would have been the other night, right? That's how important that was. You know, in the moment, you're not thinking about that. Oh, crap, we got to get a quad one win. But it's a, it's a big game. It's a big situation. you got to have your best out there. He didn't have his best. He's one of your best, but he certainly didn't have his best. And different players have different thresholds. Jim knows that more than I'll ever know, right? There's a certain threshold. Like, Benny can make one mistake, and he's out. Whereas Jude is the point guard and has been smart about these situations and is a tenacious player and a talented player, and you, you give him a little bit more slack. I totally understand that. Not all uh, decisions on playing time, turnovers, and things that we're discussing here are created equal. I completely get that. But I thought we went over the line in that instance. And it's going to take a lot for me to get there again, by the way. I'm not sitting here like just sitting by the TV like, ooh, that's five turnovers. Get him out of there. No, I'm, I I think you judge the situation as is. And in that particular instance, yeah, he shouldn't be in there. And uh, Paul uh, texted me. See, this is what Paul does. Paul, One of Paul's um, retorts was, it's Samir Torrance, not Dion Waiters. See, this is what you do to throw people off the scent. You make these comparisons, right? And you make these, you know, analogies. No, I'm talking, by the way, I will not uh, take that Simeon Torrance slander. Man, Paul's just ripping everyone today. Mario, who's going to be filling in for him the next two days. Simeon, now I get what you're saying there, but here's what I know about Simeon Torrance. He can come in, run the offense, and look, if he had come in and made a bunch of mistakes, then, then I look like a moron. Wouldn't be the first time, certainly won't be the last, right? But that's what he's there for, to come in and spell. Okay, let's let's not even, let's look at another scenario. Somebody actually brought this up in the chat. Why Now, Joe did run with the ball a little bit towards the end of that game, but why didn't you switch off there? I mean, you can what if it to death. I'm basing this on what I saw. I'm basing this on what I saw and what the options are. If I didn't feel there was a better option, then I, I would never have said anything. I would have the same take that Paulie and Steve have. That's your guy. You ride or die. And sometimes you die. If there's no other options, that's one thing. In this case, I thought there was. So if you want to continue to get on that, you know we're here for it. I do want to switch a little bit to football here because uh, as reported – this afternoon, first by Pete Thamel. I wrote about this a bit on Syracuse.com today as well, so you can check that out. But it looks as if another uh, football coach is going to be departing. Pete Thamel first to report that Chip West, cornerbacks coach for Syracuse football, is going to take the same position at Wake Forest. See, this is a lesson about life as it is about sports. You know, jobs are about Opportunity and relationships. Chip West, I don't know Chip West. I've never had a conversation with him because assistant coaches don't talk to the media and I just won't go on that rant today. So I couldn't tell you anything about relationships and what Chip West is all about, but Pete put it out there and it makes sense. He knows Dave Clawson. So Wake Forest is where he's going for the pretty much the same position, according to Pete. That's not official yet, but... You know, Pete doesn't put this stuff out there if it's not going to happen, right? He knows Dave Clawson. He knows the defensive coordinator there. 
why he wouldn't want to stay here at Syracuse with a relationship with Dino Babers. And that position has seen a lot of turnover. Deuce Chestnut in the portal, Jahad Carter in the portal. Syracuse did get two players out of the portal at the cornerback position. But Nick Monroe, now Chip West. Now, Nick Monroe got most of the attention and the accolades for recruiting. Chip is actually a great recruiter. He has literally won awards for his recruiting and came right in. And look, 2021, you've got Ify Melanfonwu, Garrett Williams, one of the best corner combos out there. If he gets drafted by the Lions, Garrett Williams is going to get drafted this year. Garrett and Deuce Chestnut, when you know, Garrett was healthy before he got hurt, he had came in and developed. Now, these players had talent, but he had to you know, coach them up to the point where you feel safe drafting them. Nick Monroe brought in a lot of players, Trill Williams and Andre Sisco in particular, in the secondary that went on to be NFL players. So there's a lot of upheaval going on in the secondary, and that's not a position you want in a lot of upheaval. Now, Rocky Long's the new defensive coordinator. If he's going to do things his way and bring in his own coaches, then that's how it goes. Coaches know this. They're they're vagabonds, right? Look at a typical football coach's resume, especially if they've been around for a while, and they've coached at seven places, and that's what they do. Relationships, opportunity. Okay. Let's look at the rest of the coaching departures. Nick Monroe from Minnesota, connections to the Minnesota staff, kind of saw the writing on the wall that he wasn't going to get the D.C. position because they went out and hired Rocky Long to do it, probably getting paid more. at uh, I, I shouldn't say probably. I know he's getting paid more at Minnesota. Opportunities, relationships. Robert and I has grandchildren in North Carolina. He's got connections to Dave Dorn and that staff. Jason Beck was ready to be elevated. He goes, okay, no harm, no foul. We all knew we were going to lose Tony White. Now, to lose Tony White essentially to the same position in Nebraska, that stings because that's an ego blow because Nebraska's a better job. Even though Nebraska's been down by their standards, and I, I feel like Tony White was making a name for himself no matter where he was. But he still felt like that was an upgrade personally, professionally, to go there. Relationships, opportunity, Right. That's a lot of upheaval on the staff, even for college sports, for college football, where that's life. Now, here's what I'm interested in. Syracuse, this is one of those little under-the-radar stories that are significant with Chip and Nick Monroe gone. As Emily Liker wrote about, uh, two program staff members, in this case, Travis Green and Khalil Ahmad, have been designated to help with off-campus recruiting on a temporary basis as Syracuse is now down three assistant coaches. You've got signing day coming up. Now, it's not the traditional signing day it used to be. And Syracuse has done some damage in the portal. They have gotten some talent out of the portal. They responded there. And I did a poll the other day on social media. And... This is in no way, shape, or form scientific, but I was still struck by it. And the poll was this. If you had to pick one, would you rather Dino Babers won the portal or recruiting? That poll got about 700 votes. That's a good litmus test, just to give you a sense of how people feel. These are just my followers in a very concentrated, specific environment. But 64% said the portal. So you got... Staffers, you got to elevate just to get on the road and recruit. You've lost two of your best recruiters, and the second signing day is coming. And Syracuse needs players. 
They've got to recover from the, the Lenora Sellers departure to South Carolina. And you just look, the portal's the portal. Ready-made players that can come in and make an impact right away. Recruiting's still a thing, especially in football, right? When you got to stockpile and build depth, which has been the major bugaboo for Syracuse in the past six, seven years. Now, they went seven and six this year. Some of that elevated depth helped get them over the finish line. It is improving in some ways, to be fair. But while these things come down to relationships and opportunity, let me give you another expression here. Perception is reality, and the perception is that Syracuse has lost a lot of coaches because they have. Now, they replaced some of those names. Rocky Long, godfather of the 3-3-5, and streamlined that. Most people wanted to keep that defense. You made that decision. They did it. It's going to be a little turnover there when you have a new coordinator. Jason Beck is ready-made, bing, bang, boom. It was. I would have honestly been upset if they didn't make that move. Right? So you have to put some of these things in context, but the perception is every other day someone's leaving this team. Yeah, but a lot of people leave through the portal. Yeah, they do. And Syracuse has far been the, the, a program that's been hit the hardest by that. But, man, Nick Monroe, Tony White, now Chip West, who, again, I didn't know well, but I, I knew his background, coached one of the better positions on this team in recent years. you got to give him some credit for how these players have elevated themselves to the point where they're going to the National Football League. And Nick Monroe recruited some of those guys. So now, as I said, relationships opportunity. Dino Babers had a prior relationship with Rocky Long, brought him in, bing, bang, boom. Where will relationships and opportunity pay off now for Syracuse? We're late in the hiring cycle. Some of the best of the best that you would turn to to replace a Chip West, to replace a Nick Monroe, are elsewhere. So where will relationships and opportunity pay off for Syracuse in this instance? On that note, we will break. I hope our friend Madden Cues is listening. We've got some interesting NFL playoff stats to go inside the numbers on. One in particular, seven of the eight playoff teams have this in common. We'll tell you about it next in Hot Takes. Stay right there.